Welcome to LaGrave Avenue, CRC's sermon podcast. Confession can seem like a very weird activity, both to Christians and non-Christians. However, the Holy Spirit acts heavily in three ways that we will look at in this sermon when we confess together. You're listening to Holy Habits, Confession by Rev. Peter Yonker. We continue our Holy Habits sermon series this morning, and our Bible reading for our second of these sermons is Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I will read verses 9 through 14. Very familiar parable of Jesus. Listen to these words. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. He did not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. So this is, as I said, the second sermon in our Holy Habits series for all of you who are visiting and those of you who have forgotten. For the next few weeks, we will be thinking about our holy habits, which means we'll be looking at our worship services. We'll be looking at the different elements of worship and why we do these things Sunday after Sunday and how they form us. And that's an important thing to think about because that's what habits do. They form us. They shape who we are. The things we do every day, the things we do every week, they shape our lives. And in this case, worship is a special habit because it is a holy habit and the Holy Spirit is operating in this ritual, in this habit, and is turning our life and giving it a Jesus shape. So last week we talked about the beginning of worship and thought about how that was forming us. And we noticed that what happens at the beginning of worship is God lifts our head up. We come into this place and we're worrying about things, and we're thinking about our lives, we're thinking about our families, we've got a lot of horizontal concerns. And then everything that happens in the service, that the introit, the song of praise at the beginning, the processional, and then most especially the greeting, those lift up our heads and remind us that we are blessed, put us in the presence of God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. So the first thing is our heads are lifted up, we see the grace and glory of God. What's the second thing? What is the second move, second holy habit of our service? After our heads are lifted up, our heads immediately go down and we confess our sins before a holy God. A second move of worship week after week after week is that we do something like what the tax collector does in this parable. In this parable, the tax collector comes to the temple and the first thing he does is he confesses his sins. He won't even look up to heaven. He beats his breast in sorrow and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He confesses his sins. The offering he brings into the temple is the offering of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And Jesus makes it very clear 
that that offering is accepted. He goes home justified by God, says Jesus. When we come into this church, week after week after week, the second thing we do is that sort of thing. We confess our sins. We did it again this morning. Chad led us. He read Isaiah 6. And we confess before God that we have impure and unclean hearts and that we have impure and unclean activities. We, we do that sort of thing every week, and sometimes we do it very pointedly. Sometimes we say, Lord, our sins are too heavy, too high, too deep for us to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Week after week after week, this is our habit. Now, you're all used to that if you're church people, right? You're used to us doing that. So maybe you don't think about it much. Probably you don't. But let's just stop for a minute and realize what an unusual thing this is. How utterly peculiar week after week to have this habit where all of us stand up before a whole bunch of people and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I struggle with guilt. I struggle with shame. I cannot think of anywhere else in society where there's a public ritual that calls you to do this. It's an extremely unusual thing that we do. And it's especially unusual because every other public ritual in society, every other place where you publicly present yourself, your inclinations are exactly the opposite, right? You want to seem competent. You want to seem attractive. When you go and have a job interview and you present your resume, you don't put on that resume, I lost the Johnson account in 2020. Oh, four, right? You don't, you, I, I had a nervous breakdown in 1997. These are things that you do not share in any other public occasion. But here we stand up and we say, Lord, have mercy on us. Not only is it unusual, because it is so unusual, people sometimes on the outside who are not part of the Christian church look at us and say, what are you guys doing? What is the matter with you Christians? Every single week you get together and say, I'm not worthy, I'm guilty, I'm ashamed, I'm a sinner. And you make your kids do that with you? They're going to be messed up. They're going to need counseling. They're going to be filled with self-loathing. And it's not only people out there who are not Christians who look at us and think that's strange. Sometimes other church people think that. So, those of us who are a little bit older probably remember the seeker-sensitive movement. Do you remember the seeker-sensitive movement? So in the 80s and 90s, a lot of churches wanted to be seeker-sensitive so that if someone who wasn't a Christian came into church, they wouldn't be alienated, which is a really good thing. But one of the things they did is they looked at the service of confession and they said, oh, that's weird stuff. Unbelievers are going to be weirded out. It's too negative. And, and they got rid of the service of confession. A lot of big mega churches. No service of confession. We don't want to confess our sins. It'll alienate people. It's too negative. And so, you know, we open with this great song of praise. It's positive. We're just going to keep praising all the way up to the sermon. Well, what about that? Why don't we just keep praising right up to the sermon? We like praising. I can tell you like praising. Why do we do this thing? Why do we have this move of confession? Why have we made this a holy habit? Well, we've made it a holy habit because it tells the truth. We are sinful people. We are people who struggle with ourselves. We do feel guilty about stuff. We do wrestle with temptation. We do get down on ourselves and worry about who we are and why we're not yet the person we want to be. So confession tells the truth about that. 
And confession also is biblical. Once we acknowledge that truth, even inside that we're not perfect, Scripture teaches us that we don't hide those things, we don't keep them to ourselves, we confess them together before God. That is the testimony of both the Old and the New Testament. Chad read Isaiah 6 earlier in the service, and we're going to read that passage repeatedly in this, in this sermon series, and that's because Isaiah 6 is a kind of model of Christian worship. It's a heavenly scene of heavenly worship, and through the years, Christians have looked at Isaiah 6 as they try to figure out what should worship look like. And you can see at its beginning, it has those movements. Isaiah comes in and he sees God holy and lifted up. And what's the first thing he does after he sees God lifted up? Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He confesses his sin. And that's pretty much the reaction of every ordinary person who meets an angel or who meets the living God in scripture, right? Acknowledges their sinfulness. The Psalms also teach us to confess. You have the Psalms of, of contrition, the penitential Psalms, like Psalm 51, which says, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned, and then tells us that, that, that the offering that God finds fitting is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Confess your sins, teach the Psalms. And then the New Testament, the message is the same, our, our parable, very clearly. It says, if you come into God's presence and you want his favor, you don't come in with a resume that says, God, look at my awesomeness. I, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Do I get in? No. You honestly confess your sin and receive his mercy. And then one more, 1 John 1, you remember those verses? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and purify us from unrighteousness. So this confession thing we do, even though it's a strange ritual to so many people out there in the world, is honest about who we are and is biblically founded. So what happens to us when we do it every week? Do we become neurotic? I don't think so. I want to say that the Holy Spirit shapes us in three ways. I want to share with you three ways in which this Weekly habit of confession shapes us by the Holy Spirit. First, when we confess our sins every week, the Holy Spirit builds in us a sacred lack of confidence. You heard me correctly. When we confess our sins, the Holy Spirit builds in us a sacred lack of confidence. This parable is aimed at confidence. To the people who are confident of their righteousness and look down on others, Jesus told this parable. There is such a thing as too much confidence. And when you confess your sins every single week, the Holy Spirit will put a little voice in your head. And that little voice will be a little voice of self-doubt and self-questioning. I will be going about my life and I will find myself asking, Peter, maybe you don't know. You might be wrong here. I'll be about to make decisions and say, but Peter... Maybe your motivations aren't so pure. I'll go through my week and constantly that little voice will be questioning me, wondering whether or not I have the correct motives for doing what I do. And that is a good thing. Because we are broken people. And this is the opposite of what we're taught out there in the world again, right? I mean, we can never have too much confidence according to how 
things are taught generally to our kids and to our young people. We want our kids to overflow with confidence. You can see it in the kind of voices we listen to in society. Self-doubt, self-criticism are signs of weakness. The voices that we listen to in politics, in religion, even in sports commentary, are the voices of certainty. People who say, I know, and I have no, no shadow of doubt. Those are the people we like to listen to. I have the answers. If someone says, I'm not so sure, I could be wrong, we're not drawn to that. Confession is biblical. It teaches us holy self-suspicion. Our world needs more people who are in touch with their own weakness. Our world needs a little less swagger and a lot more humility. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, says Jesus. So that's the first way that the Spirit shapes us. The second way is if we practice the holy habit of confession, the Spirit will teach us to start the fight against evil in the right place. We know that the Bible teaches us to come against the forces of evil in this world and and resist the devil and resist temptation. We know that that's part of what we're called to do. It is so tempting that when you hear that call to start with the sins of other people. Why is that so tempting? Well, because it's so easy. Because people do so many foolish things, right? It's not that hard to find them. Watch one evening newscast, scroll through your social media, just walk around in this world and look around and you will see people doing appalling things and you will be appalled. So it's easy to find these things. It's tempting to start there. And it's more fun to start there. It is a lot of fun to start with the sins of other people. You and I have both been in rooms where we're sitting with like-minded folk and we've been saying to each other, can you believe them? Can you believe what they're doing? It's because of them that this church is falling on its face. It's because of them that this country is where it is today. We do that all the time. Some of you will be tempted to do it this afternoon. What you need to see is that that when we do that, we're exactly like the Pharisee in this passage. Confident of our own righteousness, and we're looking down on somebody else. Jesus is trying to teach us exactly the opposite ribbon. When we confront sin, we start with ourselves, our own brokenness, our own failure. And that doesn't mean that after we start with ourselves that we don't think about the sins of others. There's absolutely a place for confrontation and for speaking about those things. But when you start with yourself and how you have been forgiven and how you've been shown mercy, by the time you get to other people, you will approach them in an entirely different spirit, a humble spirit. Which brings us to the last thing that the holy habit of confession teaches us. And I think that is deep and joyful community. How is that so? About 10 years ago at Grand Rapids Christian High, uh, they had a special chapel. And at that chapel, the chapel was about confession and brokenness and sin. And after the chapel, Uh, They wanted it to do an activity, and they set aside a wall in the school, and they called that the word wall. And on that wall, students were invited to write on a piece of, like on a sticky note, a sin or some 
terrible thing that they were keeping inside, something that was tearing them up inside, and put it on that wall as a kind of confession. They were invited to do that, and they were invited to do it anonymously, obviously. While the people who were leading the chapel were not at all sure that all the kids would participate, or they were worried that anyone was going to write anything on this wall, and it turns out that hundreds and hundreds of kids wrote on that wall. And they didn't just write trite things. They revealed really serious, deep stuff. Things that they obviously had not told anyone. I was raped. I can't stop looking at porn. I'm gay and nobody knows it. My father left our family and it's killing me. I can't stop drinking. Every day, I think about killing myself. A whole wall covered with confessions like this. Students could also come to the wall and they could write notes of encouragement like, we're praying for you. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Jesus is stronger than your sin. And so all those notes started to come up on the wall. The wall was incredibly well received and it did something to the quality of that community. Because high school, as I think you can all remember or as you're currently experiencing, does not always feel like a forgiving place, right? It feels like a place where you got to earn your social standing, right? You got to be impressive to people. You got to show them your awesome resume. You got to be beautiful or athletic or smart or preferably all of these things. And, and then, then, man, you'll be popular and everything will be fine. It can be hard for kids. But standing in front of that wall, every student and every teacher realized that this was an entirely different kind of community altogether. This wasn't a community of awesomeness. This was a community of broken people. And standing in front of that wall, when you looked at the things that the kids were struggling with, you realized that being beautiful or athletic or smart or funny, none of those things were sufficient to overcome those problems. That if you wanted to overcome those problems, you needed a grace and a power far stronger than any of those things. You needed the grace of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the washing away that comes through his blood, the hope that comes from his resurrection. Standing in front of that wall, those kids knew that they were broken sinners saved by grace and it didn't make them discouraged. It brought them joy. That is why I totally disagree with people who say confession is neurotic or confession brings people down. Done properly, confession lifts us up because we don't just confess our sins, we are assured of his forgiveness. And that gives us hope. I said earlier in the service that too much self-confidence is a bad thing and that little self-doubt was a good thing. There's one area that that's not true. I have no confidence in my own righteousness. I don't have much confidence in your righteousness, but I have perfect confidence in his righteousness. I don't have much confidence in myself to lead this church and figure out the future. I don't have much confidence in your ability to lead this church and figure out the future, but I have complete confidence in his ability to lead this church and figure out our future. And so I am deeply grateful for this holy habit 
which puts us at the feet of the cross. Amen. Lord, as we do every Sunday, we thank you for your grace. It's our food, it's our life, it's our hope. We thank you that you put this grace in us. We know that our righteousness falls short, but we know that your righteousness uh, covers us over and pulls us through. We praise you for that, and and, and may that assurance, may the confidence that comes from belonging to you um, lift up our heads all week long. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.